Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Bees Tactical Podcast, where we try to get under the bonnet of all things tactical and statistical at Brentford. I'm David Anderson, your host for today, and for this special episode where I expose my football takes for the fallacious arguments they are, I'm delighted to be joined by football coach and three times published author, and most recently author of Football's Principles of Play, Peter Prickett. Pete, how are you doing and thank you for joining us. Hi, very good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. How are you doing? Yeah, really good, thank you. Thanks for coming on. Um, Quite exciting to just chat about something a bit different to specifically football and uh, talk about a book and uh, ah, you're yeah thank you very much for chatting to us about it okay so as a bit of an introduction I guess um, the best place to start is um, well yeah you giving us a, an introduction to yourself and um, what you're up to and what you've done uh, to to get you up to this point uh, so I suppose currently uh, I work for for Brentford the, uh, in the community trust um, coaching on various projects um, I've also uh, done some tutoring for the FA, uh, worked for grassroots clubs and did, completed a Masters in Performance Football Coaching re- quite recently as well. And yes, book number three is, is hit, well I say hitting the shelves, but there are, I don't think that's really happening at the moment. It's um, hitting the online stores, let's put it that way. Yeah, <laughs> yep, uh, not quite the shelves, but yeah, the, the warehouses is um, maybe another way to think about it, ready to be ordered. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, great stuff. So yeah, the, the book is um, the overall reason why you're here, but um, there's other bits as well. Uh, your Brentford connection is um, is pretty strong. You actually work at the club. Is it okay if you explain to us a bit about sort of your day-to-day with the Community Trust and what you do there? Uh, well, at the moment, in the, pan- in the pandemic, it's quite limited. Uh, we're still going into schools to deliver to the um, key workers children 
um, that's mainly what I've been doing in the last month or, or so. Um, I would ordinarily also be delivering on the football development programme um, and delivering futsal sessions too, uh, some art school clubs and one of my, well another one that I've done quite a, a few times over recent years but hasn't happened has been the London Youth Games where I've taken the uh, Ealing team. Uh, we haven't, weren't able to do that last year, unfortunately, ending my run of three medals in a row, which is a shame. Hopefully this year we'll be able to do it. Yeah, hopefully we get back to some kind of normality soon. But I, I guess so much has changed um, pre-pandemic to sort of us living with the pandemic. Um, I'm guessing uh, pandemics and no contact with players and and uh, children is not quite in uh, any coaching manual. <laughs> no, I mean, I remember when... Uh, we were allowed to go back in our, our mini sessions of bubbles of six, five players plus a coach, uh, and they had to be distanced and having to create new plans specifically for that. That was quite an, a, an interesting challenge. Um, but yeah, well, you know, hopefully we've all got our fingers crossed that normal or whatever that means is around the corner. But fingers crossed, touch wood and any other superstitious things you can come up with. Yep, everything's crossed for some kind of normality. Um, yeah, I, I guess lots of sort of Zoom sessions and um, and uh, working at distance and uh, just making sure you're in really safe areas or where you actually need to be is um, is one of the adaptions through this. Uh, yeah, I reckon it'd be good to chat to you a little bit before we get into um, the main reason we're here about um, at Brentford and the first team. So there's a lot of focus at clubs of the first team. Um they are what what clubs are all about essentially there's more to it but um the first team doing well is uh is like the apex of uh, of the dream of um a well performing club um what what's your overall feelings this year compared to last we had a really good team last year is there anything stand out this year that you've seen that you really liked or or how are you how are you perceiving the season i always i always in the last 3 to 4 seasons i've seen us as a very streaky team so uh, you'll see it amongst the, the fan base, and uh, you certainly will in, in your uh, interactions on social media. How how bad the team is when it's inevitably on one of its poorer streaks, and they 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 occur. And then that how long that streak is can vary. And then we'll have a good streak, and again, how long that streak is can vary. Uh, but what seems to be happening is the the poorer streaks are shrinking and the stronger streaks are increasing. I don't know if that is a consequence of the statistical approach that's been employed. I think one of the things I've noticed is that teams who do use this approach tend to go on streaks for whatever reason, looking at Liverpool being another one. Um, And then when a streak breaks, it breaks quite hard. Um, But yeah, I, I think... Streaks of, of poor form are getting smaller, but they still occur. And the streaks of good form are getting longer. So all of which is quite promising for that much-talked-about promotion push. Yeah, the big P word. Um, yeah, I, I think I agree on the streakiness of it all. Um, yeah, I think you're definitely right. Um, maybe attributed to something like having a really good idea about how the game should be played and then 
you have these periods of maybe unluckiness or, or or something not going right for a short period but it's often corrected quite quickly and um, you see us going back on a successful run again so the fundamentals are there um, the basis is right um, you're doing a lot of the right things but football's just a, a mental crazy game and you're going to have periods where where there are things that go against you especially when the season is as compacted as it has been certainly the last nine months of football have been really tight and it's game 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 and just like didn't we play yesterday sort of thing is is how we feel and it, looking at it look at the first team and everything that is the, done the way it's played uh, the, the style of play the way that recruitment is done it all f- does feel like a very modern up-to-date football club that is moving with the times and in the right direction as far as the first team is concerned and hopefully the reward for that is promotion hopefully i think as long for as long as this approach is con- continues it will happen at some point it's just a matter of when and then it becomes a matter of what happens once you're there which could be another mm. interesting thing yeah inevitability is the sort of feeling i think people aren't saying it but that's what you're doing you're trying to improve and improve and in the end you just get so good that it just becomes an inevitability and you're much better than the other teams the club's more robust you've just got better players and uh it it just happens but it's, it's uh i wish it would just happen sooner rather than later because it does get um i think it, <laughs> i don't know i think it's gonna get harder but we'll see i was gonna say especially compounded upon the pain of last season's ending yeah i think there's a few people of an age now who've I don't, I'm not sure how much they can survive another playoff, <laughs> another playoff disappointment. But um, hopefully, it doesn't come to that. Um, but yeah, I think that that leads Angus Kinnear's line about um, we're not dicking around with the playoffs this time. Uh, at the end of the Leeds documentary is, I think that's something probably the Brentford guys have said to each other. Let's just go up automatics. The playoffs, if we have the playoffs, are just too dramatic. But um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Okay. Um, so I, I think we should talk about why we're actually here, what you've done and what you've been up to and how this has come about. Um, so in the intro, I mentioned you're an esteemed author of three books and the most recent is Football's Principles of Play. Um, yeah, talk to me a little bit about it. How did it come about? I know you've written two before, but um, how did uh, how did this one come to fruition? So uh, the two previous books were very, very coaching heavy. Um, they're based on the concepts of small-sided games for training, uh, literally called Developing Skill, a guide to 3v3 football coaching or, or soccer coaching, um, and then Developing Skill 2, which was a additional, not, um, well, how do I say, continuation of the book. Uh, I think there, there was a problem that some people thought it was just a, a, a re-rendering of the first one, but actually the, it, it's a follow, it directly follows on. But anyway, uh, so very, very, very coaching heavy. Um and then I wrote those books, and I can't remember exactly how long ago it was, maybe a year and a half, maybe a little bit longer. On social media, I was asked the question by a strength and conditioning coach, what were, the, were there any fundamentals that they needed to know about football? And I proceeded to explain, well, if you think about a fullback, they might need to have a certain, you know, more stamina because of how much they have to get up and down uh, or as a centre forward you might require greater upper body strength to hold off defenders and he's like no I don't mean that I mean literally the fundamentals of how the game is played and I'm like well I suppose you mean the principles of play 
So I explained the traditional principles that have been taught for, for many years by the FA. Uh, and he said, thank you, that's great. Can you recommend a book? And I tried to think of what's on my shelves. And I think, oh, uh, actually, no, I can't. Because every book I thought of, the principles of play were either included, but a part of a, a greater scheme of, of work, or they were the principles of certain superstar coaches. So what are the Klopp's principles, Guardiola's principles, Bielsa's principles? There's plenty of books about that, but not really about what are the, the general and universal principles of the game. So because of that, this this book was... The idea for this book was spawned. And then I sent the... I sent that idea to my publisher and I wanted it to be a really short book, like a, a pick up and read handbook. I was looking at 40, 50 pages and the publisher was a bit hesitant. Uh, okay, fine. Went and finished my master's. About a month before handing it in, I got an email from the publishers. How are you doing with the new book? Uh, um, uh, I'm not because I, I wasn't sure we were going ahead. I mean, I already had some prep work in place, so it was okay. So as soon as I finished the Masters, I cracked on with uh, with what we have now. Yeah, awesome. It's um, The finished um, piece of work is uh, it's absolutely brilliant. I've been lucky enough to read it. Um, yeah, I feel really privileged. I, I think it was, just, it was just excellent. I don't really know any other way to describe it. I think my thoughts of when finishing it, I, I sort of thought it was uh, like a football mechanics Bible or like an like an all-encompassing Haynes manual for football. Like maybe some people listening might not remember these, but I remember growing up, my um, my stepdad had these these Haynes manuals for cars and it was like um, just a really intricate way of finding out how to fix these things or what they're made of or just sort of all-encompassing on, on these vehicles. And uh, I, that's what I thought of when I thought of this. It's not quite as detailed as that. I don't want anyone to think it's large and... Um, a thousand pages long with lots of small writing but it's it's really detailed and it's really good and um it's it's good for all sorts of people they uh, the idea of it being easy to pick up and easy to understand was was important when i was writing it because i didn't have in my mind aiming it at those who already had a, a really high level of football knowledge although that's not to say there isn't stuff in there for them but the, the the more or the deeper your knowledge the more likely you are to pick it up and read well i know all this because i wanted to aim it at level one coaches level two coaches because the way that the fa awards have been structured for quite a long time you don't really get much detail on the principles of play until level three so I, I wanted to have something that they could pick up and understand and without going into a ton of detail on every single principle, put enough information that that principle is understandable. And also not just for coaches, but for, for football fans in general who are interested in, the me- you use the term mechanics and I, I'm going to go with that, the mechanics of the game. Um, I also had inverting the pyramid in my mind. So inverting the pyramid, I think, did a huge amount for the understanding of formations and, and, and how and why they happened. I, without becoming too uh, grandiose in, in my ambitions, I was 
thinking, could I get something like that for the how and the why of what happens in-game? We'll see if I get there or not. Yeah, I, th- I think you've got a long way to getting there if you've not sort of superseded that. But um, before we get into like some of, the, some of the more mechanical bits under the bonnet of the book, I reckon... Um, just my, for me personally as well, I'm like myself as like a failed author and writer, I'm interested in the writing process of others and um, how it actually occurs and how you how you actually get the the magic to happen and um, get it down because there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot in this book. It's not um, is it is it just purely from your studies or has there been more of a process that because you, you tell a good story going out through the book. It's um, it's got a big beginning, middle, and end. It's um, it's not bad. Um, so writing wise. You probably have to go back to my my first degree. I did journalism, so there's a little help there. Uh, or I never never actually went into journalism, and for many years thought I'd wasted my time, but it's crept its way back through. Um, I also did some a night class, uh, New York Film uh, New York Institute for script writing, when they had a branch in in London. I did about. Or I think I went once or twice a week for two or three months. So I was interested in, in writing, in screenwriting for a while. And then I let that all subside. I got into coaching and my way of reflection, of reflecting and improving and developing was to, I kept a journal. Then I started using social media and actually my, that became my journal. And I wrote blogs. I still do write blogs. So quite a lot of what is in all of my books has formed initially in blog form not all of it but it will it it will be there if if people had um, paid close attention I reckon they could have got or gathered together the content for the whole of the first book for absolutely nothing because it had all been chucked out there and I sort of experimented and played with the stuff in public so when it came to putting the book together in the end i could just pull things in and then work on it and i've got notes on uh, all over the place i've got pieces of paper notebooks all over the place so again pull the pieces in pull them in together and we get where we get to with these books and especially with something like so the principles of play these are things that are in my mind as a coach all the time all of the time so that meant that I didn't have to dig all that deep certainly to get the surface information to expand on the information required a little bit more work and I include a section on academic principles now that I probably wouldn't have looked at if I hadn't been doing my masters that's for sure I wouldn't have come across those papers but it's great to have found them because I think one of the things that we've had is we've had these these principles of play that have been taught by the FA for a very long time but actually there's different principles taught by other associations and if there's different principles that can be taught are they really true principles if they can be picked up and put down if they're not that required and that's the, the what I'm trying to explore within the book yeah brilliant I've heard I've heard that before about sort of the writing itself being easy but the research more difficult and just getting 
backup and the sort of evidence of what you want to say, the harder bit. But I think um, so many people are different. But what I guess is quite interesting is does being a coach um, or maybe being involved in the development of people, do you think, hold you in better stead for something like as slow and nurturing as writing a book, the patient side of it? I don't know. That's the honest answer. Um, All coaches or not all coaches behave the same people will behave differently and I think that because you mentioned storytelling I do have storytelling in my head quite a lot so because I perceive things in that way I think that influences my coaching probably more than the other way around Um, there's a book uh, called The The Hero's Journey or The Writer's Journey which I read when I was doing my screenwriting course and that resonates in my head all, all of the time like every moment is is a scene so when you're writing a scene for a story every moment acts in a certain way and a, 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 the scene builds into a sequence and you can also go the other way but the scene itself is a sequence of its own and there will be the ordinary world there will which is just day-to-day life what we always do what we're normally doing and then something will occur that sets the story in action and that occurrence will generate conflict or difficulty or a problem um and then you'll meet characters along the way like people who assist you people who get in the way and all that sort of thing and actually when we're coaching this happens as well so arriving at a session that's our ordinary world especially for the players then we put a problem in front of them and then we've initiated an an issue or something for them to to solve and they then have to figure out who's there as a to help them, who's actually there antagonising them. Can they get help from someone else? So all of these these things, it's all a story. It's just sometimes the story doesn't always occur in the same order, and that's something as coaches and writers we can play with. Movies that start the wrong way around or back to front. Uh, uh, some way session structure can be like that. So the traditional way of, of coaching a session is technique skill game but then it was the fa encouraged whole part whole so you start with the game you then break it into a middle bit and you go back to the game again and i just thought it's like a martin scorsese film um and we could play with it even further and change about the order but as long as it's still got the the relevant threads holding it together and it still makes sense the order doesn't necessarily matter that much I've gone. Off, I think I've gone off slightly. On no, no. Um, <clears throat> as a storyteller, you'll be able to bring it back at any time. I think as well. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, you've alluded to it a little bit. This is your third book now. Um, it differs a little bit because it's the others are very sort of microscopic on specific drills and um, maybe the finite parts. But this is a bit more of a top-down look at football. Um, you, you, you kind of said it already. There's. Um, I think you've had a lot of material. Was that was this always the plan to get to the third, or was there just so much and you had to leave bits out as you were going along throughout the writing process of the other two? And then, basically, I guess when's um, when's book four coming out? When I wrote book one, I got feedback that was this is really comprehensive, and my immediate reaction to that was no, it's not. You should see how much I left out, which went to book number two. This, occur- this book occurred in a different way. So I got asked that question by uh, someone on social media. And the thing with it is, in terms of coaching, the principles of play should really underpin everything that we do. If it's not, or if the activity doesn't reflect what occurs within the game, why are we doing it? 
that might manifest in different ways and I'm not going to go uh, take this in the direction of whether things should be opposed, unopposed, game-based or so on. But whatever we're doing, for it to truly benefit the players, it should be grounded in the principles of, of the game. Now, I think at a, a youth level, general principles are very important. The general principles of how and what occurs within the game. At a more senior level, the specific principles of the coach or perhaps even the club if they have a club philosophy written which for some clubs that philosophy is possibly more important than the actual coach because it will adhere to those those are important for what you're doing in training in your sessions in your practices so these principles are alluded to in the first two books and really those practices which are which are game-based are underpinned by the principles of play but this is what i going back to explaining something or book that explains those principles specifically my first two books don't do that they the principles are, are there in some way but they're not explained on their own or for their own worth and that was a, a i felt a gap and something that, that coaches might be interested in fans might be interested in and hopefully will will help people have a, a deeper understanding of what's actually happening on the pitch why um like no plan b was always something that annoyed me hearing people say no plan b well just changing an individual is immediately a different plan so yeah that that's the that's the idea a deeper look at what happens what really is happening and why they might be happening yeah the book definitely um it definitely explores those things and i think it does that um yeah it does that pretty comprehensively um just stepping back a little bit, uh, which um, which players had the biggest footballing influence on your ideas about the game? I guess um, like f- who inspired you footballing wise? Do you have any standouts? My favourite, right, so lots of players stand out. Look, there's been so many great footballers. It becomes more a case of who your favourites are, who you who you really. And I put it in my bio. My favourite footballer is Yari Littman. He's my favourite player. Uh, whether he's the best player, not important. He's my favourite. Um, because he was intelligent, technically gifted, could do the unexpected. And I've recently been watching quite a lot of Ajax games from the uh, mid-90s. And it was even more interesting than I remembered it, because looking at it now, I'm seeing him pop up at centre-back at times, because of the fluidity of the side. And that is a good illustration of his footballing intelligence. And that also makes people like Philip Lahm really interesting to me because they're smart enough to fulfil lots of different roles. Um, but, see, I, I'm, I'm a Liverpool fan. And I, they, they were asked for many years, when they were really successful in the 70s and 80s, what they did in training. What was it? And they said, we just played five-a-side. Um, I can't remember. I think it was John Barnes who, who asked, what do we do on corners? And I think he was told, we paid all this much money for you, you're meant to be this good a player and you're asking us what you need to do on a corner. Out you go. Go, go. Get on with it sort of thing. And I think they trusted the players and they trusted the players' intelligence to react and adapt to what's happening out there. And there have been quite a few videos recently, um, quite a lot about Steve Kerr, as actually from Golden State Warriors in basketball, where they talk about player ownership and player leadership. And I think it's really important that players should be empowered 
to react and respond to what's happening on the pitch themselves because they can react more quickly to what's happening than a coach can. Sometimes a coach will see stuff they don't, and that's great. But good luck to you if you can get that message out to them. They can really, really do it. It's not You might get or get it done two or three times in a whole game. Never, never mind pumping instructions ten, or, or ideas and concepts 10 to 15 times in a half. How many are actually going to land? So I've always liked intelligent players, players who can make choices for themselves out there. And Lippmann's my favourite player. Um, at Liverpool, I loved Chabi Alonso because I saw him as the, that conductor as well who could make those decisions and change the speed of the game. So, yeah, they, those are the sort of players who I really enjoyed. Yeah, not bad players. Um, I'm a little bit too young to have uh, seen Lippmann play, but I'm well aware of him. Um, and, yeah, Xabi Alonso wasn't bad either. I was, at, I, was, I was at an impressionable age as well. I was about... 13, 14 when I first saw Lippmann and two, so that left an impression. Without giving too much of the book away, um, uh, I think you you sort of move through the basic football rules and like the aims and um, the type of game for two years, like an invasion game. And then uh, this is, you've probably alluded it to quite a bit, sort of Alan Wade's 1960s establishing of the principles of play. And then you talk about game models and different phases and sub and academic principles. There's um, there's lots in there. Um uh, I just really love this blurb from the synopsis. Um, These principles have underpinned coach education for decades and largely been unchallenged. Uh, when examining them, other deeper values emerge to support the one true principle to score. Um, yeah, I, I think that's uh, that's pretty awesome. Um, and I think so good because this is, um, I probably skipped through a little bit here, but from like a narratival perspective, football has just fallen into this winning well versus like winning ugly or good versus bad um sort of defending the game and winning one nil or Mourinho v Pep or attack v defense um what do you what do you what do you think about this where do you sit so breaking it down in terms of what's the actual aim of the game well it's a game that's played to win certainly at the adult levels and senior levels within youth football that might be slightly different um but we'll stick with with what happens at first team and senior level All the coach is there to do, his job, is to get the team to win games of football. And that horrible phrase, which often alludes to something underhand, whatever means necessary. Whatever means necessary might be dictated by the the personnel that they have, the budget that they have. Um, Burnley would be a great example, I think, of that. They haven't got much of a budget, which means that they can only afford a certain type of player, which has dictated the way they play their football. And Sean Dyche is under no obligation to entertain or to be pretty. As much as people would would like that to be the case, his job is to get results. Uh, Thomas Frank's job is exactly the same, but they've chosen to go about it in a different way. And that's that's fine. People can People can do whatever they want. You can play the game however you like. And you don't have to necessarily justify it, especially if you're winning. If you're losing, then it becomes harder to justify because, unfortunately, it is ultimately about results. We might have ideas on aesthetics, but there's no aesthetics principle of play. Being more aesthetically pleasing doesn't necessarily guarantee that you will win. Although playing in a more aesthetically pleasing manner might work if you have more technically gifted players 
that might help to bring more of that it might help to support more of what they are good at and I think that's probably the key is what are the players you've got good at and how do you then get that to occur on the pitch and the better you do the more likely you are to get better players which will then mean that you say hello to a new era of mental health care cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support 100 online you'll experience the all-new cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Start to play a more attractive style of football. It's been shown by certain coaches, though, that you can go the other way. You can just take what you've got in front of you and play us in an aesthetically pleasing manner. It's what Bielsa has been lauded with praise for. Praise for That's fantastic. But not everyone's Bielsa. And nor does everyone have to be Bielsa either. Yeah, I think what's what's interesting from like an elite team perspective of football is like this varying levels of risk taken to win by coaches. And then that's all within a structure that basically isn't allowed to lose. And that's where you get this, does he, well, what's his, what's his aims? What's his principles? What are they doing here? Like what, what are they up to or shield? And, and um, yeah, that, I think that's where a number of these arguments stem from. Um, when wh- Have we lost sight of what we're actually trying to do? And then the aim is to win. Um, how you go about that is obviously dependent on the coach and uh, the tools they have. I think the, the, the 
the problem people might have is if you just taking Mourinho for an example, if you have some of these attacking assets like Kane, Son and Dombele, all these really talented players, and then you're still looking at this approach, like the underdog approach, it just it, something doesn't match up in our reckoning of how we're, we're trying to sort through this. Yeah, so that becomes the question, is, is, is that manner getting the best out of that talent? And that, that's another debate, I suppose. Um, but... Mourinho himself is under no obligation to play in any particular style. He can choose to play in the manner that he believes is best to get a positive result. Whether he's right or wrong, I guess ultimately the league table mm. will tell us. Yeah, it, and his I guess and his bosses in the end as well, won't they? They'll um they'll decide whether the investment matches. There is a, 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 another philosophical discussion about whether sport is entertainment or not but in terms of the principles of play the the principles of how the game is played are designed to get a result because the game is played is a game that is played to win so the principles of play don't care about whether it's entertaining or not because one nil is the same as four three as three nil as five nil as six nil so whether the game is played to be entertaining, I think, is a, is a whole separate philosophical standpoint to being functional. I think that's, that's where coaches will fall as well. And the coaches and managers and fans will fall somewhere on a spectrum there. Function versus mm. flair, if you like. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's fascinating. That's definitely, um, that could be a, a separate podcast and the entertain v, v winning. And uh, we could chat about that individually for a while but um i think um just on the book as well something else i noticed it just all the way through it's littered with these really good quotes from um from fairly famous names in the game and uh some i think if you look at them they're all quite attacking players as well there's um there's some just really good quotes but the one i just want to focus on quickly now is quite an interesting one actually just apt of what we're talking about is burkamp's like winning only matters for the first team and um the idea that maybe should the whole club be geared up to just be winning on different levels thinking about winning or is that just the aim of the first team and then development and uh, I just thought that was a really interesting one and on sort of adults being efficient and winning and the outcome of the sport and um, at youth levels you're learning you're trying to enjoy this it's developing skills and uh, something uh, the more I've read of your bits and uh, the stuff you put out I think um, I think you've got like a deep appreciation for dribbling and skills and risk taking and attacking. Um, is that fair? Uh, yes, I, I would say that. If you, if one of, one of the coaches at, at the uh, the development centre, he got a, one of a team that I'd had for a, a year or two, and he did come up to me and said, "Yeah, I can tell they've been with you because of they are they were very they took a lot of risks and chances, and I allow them to do that." Um, I've got in here economy or efficiency as a principle of play but players I think especially when they're younger have to learn to become efficient or economical over time and some of the things that they do may not necessarily be efficient and economical at that time but the stronger an opponent is in terms of the defensive principles or the out of possession principles the more likely you are to need to use principles such as creativity, surprise, deception to create an opportunity, which is where all of those inefficient, bad choices that they made as young players 
might eventually lead to them finding a moment that wins a game. And at, at younger levels, they're less organised. So you, you can just be efficient and be victorious. But as we see with the packed defences and the banks of four, or sometimes the banks of what four and six we see uh, teams use, it's the creativity that unlocks and enables teams like, like Manchester City to open teams up when they are defending so deep and eventually get that result because it can just be that one moment of inspiration that wins the game versus 20 attempts that didn't work but then one does and that's your result and we've had we there are a number of players I think who get accused of that in the Brentford team who people get frustrated with because they can't unlock a thing oh what they're trying this they're trying that and then they win a game with it. Yeah, it's um, it's a big, it's a big discussion, I guess, amongst the fans base. From my perspective, like a more analytical and um, sort of trying to mix that with the tactical assessments. You look at over the last couple of years, we've seen someone like Ben Rama, and if you're if you're looking at things like expected goals and him being uh, a high volume shooter, but where are these chances from? Are they valuable chances? But then it just mo- it moves back to what you're talking about, of like a settled structure and how if talking about his memory of being when he was um, a free player sort of maybe not so much like playing on the streets but just playing at a youthful level and enjoying it and doing something to help his team win where do we where do we come as when we're trying to analyze these games and and talk about them in a in a in an intellectual way has he been just wasteful or is he trying something to unlock a tough defense to help this team win and then if you lose that or if you don't have that do you just become this predictable team that it's quite easy to defend against and there's a real balance between the two and I, I don't think we we as fans really understand that I think we we think we do but I'm not sure we do yeah I'm um, just ideas you know things that pop into the head immediately uh, the 2006 FA Cup final Steven Gerrard shooting from 35 yards to make it 3-3 if he doesn't take that shot on Liverpool was that the one that he said game. he was tired because he took it? I think should have. Yeah, he said he had. He said he had cramp. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been taking the shot. But so, from a coach's perspective, are we encouraging players to take shots from thirty-five yards? Probably not. Generally, I mean, I watch I'm, quite a lot of the time. I'm at the moment watching Liverpool, and I'm thinking they're not taking any shots from outside the box, any at all. I think they could do with a few more. And I think they're probably told, possibly on the back of some analytics, that these are wasteful, don't take the shots. What about um, Peter Crouch taking the ball on his chest and swivelling and hitting a volley against Manchester City? I think that one goal of the season. Should he have been doing that? Should he have been chesting it down, laying it off and getting in the box to get on the end of a cross? Maybe, but then he scored. So they become problems about assessing something based on the percentage or the percentage play. But also there are problems about basing something on an outcome as well. The out- so the examples I've given, I've said they were right because they've gone in. They must have been the correct decision because it's been a goal. But if they smash it into the crowd, was it the right decision? And that's where I think there are difficulties between analysis and decision making and just decision making in general. Because we're not out there. That's the other thing. What the player perceives is, is the key. What one player sees and what another player sees can be the difference between, well, me sitting here right now and Lionel Messi. 
is it if Messi receives the ball on the halfway line and has five players in front of him, should he go and take them on? Well, he's Messi, probably. If I get the ball on the halfway line and there's five players in front of me, I should probably give it to someone else. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think I, I get where you're coming from completely. Um, yeah, another one to think about, really, the, the current team, I guess, is Sergi Canos. Um, lots to his game, like, incredible athlete, um, just hardworking. Um, just yeah, just a real physical specimen. One of our most important players, just because of what he can give the team in terms of off the ball and on it, and then bringing it upfield. But you, you think about some of his decision making, shooting wise, and does he have the quality to match up with what he decides to do in those times? And that's where I, it's really hard to understand whether he should have more restraints around him in terms of should he be told not to do that, or is it is it enough that he brings that he's allowed to do that because when one or two go in that it it, it does take you through I, there's um there's that fine line I, you probably get it more than me well liverpool had it with coutinho for quite a long time quite similar shooting from all sorts of positions and actually just before he he went he was starting to score with more of these long long shots so is it something that could improve in canos i don't know i don't know I, honestly i don't know um Harry Wilson was quite a similar example. Uh, certainly when he was in the Championship, he was taking lots of shots from distance. He was scoring with quite a few of them. Could that tra- could it transfer into the Premier League? Well, ultimately, it, it didn't. But there are players who can and do consistently score from, from distance. If they're told not to shoot, then they absolutely won't. Yeah, I guess that, there is that element as well. That it's not like they're going out there with no instruction. I mean, they're... If they were completely disobedient to a, a tactical system or a decision or something that's been put on them, I'm not sure they'd be playing much more. So, yeah, there is an element of maybe us assuming the message they've been given. Well, some 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 players really do get the, the shackles placed upon them, um, even even at youth level. But, but that's, again, <laughs> some other stories. OK, um, yeah, there's, um, as I was saying just a second ago, there's some awesome quotes throughout the book Um yeah, really, yeah, really powerful. Some from Ronaldinho on sort of improvisation. Um, uh, Wittgenstein talking about uh, like games and families of games, and uh, they're just they're just really nice. They they make they make the whole book flow, and they look really good as well. Um, uh, <clears throat> I think also a bit of language stuff here. Actually, let's move into this. Um, I think something that's going on now and uh, people are struggling a little bit with is like the inadequacy of language probably to describe football and uh, Wittgenstein was one of the ones that spoke about language a little bit as well but um, where where do you stand I think something that I'm looking at now as well and a lot of people are quite interested in this like sort of the, the pigeonholing of player positions and names and their roles on the pitch and I think there's a lot of modeling going on trying to understand exactly what these players are doing and are they is is a left back is someone like Rico Henry really a left back or is he like a, a sort of wide wide progressor or something like that and um what what do you think about the 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 way we describe footy um i think i think when people are very literal and they say like you just said left back a left back is a left back well i think i think we do need more detail when we're discussing i don't think it's necessarily enough to just say he's a left back we might need to put a little bit more detail and information on that um but yeah the the traditional what we've got is hundreds and hundreds of years well not quite hundreds and hundreds but you know what i mean of years of of football and of positions and that comes with a legacy that kind of needs to be respected in a way 
but also needs to evolve. So fullback was a fullback at the beginning was closer to what Guardiola's inverted fullbacks are doing now than what fullbacks became. Because I think it was the Brazilians who pushed them out, pushed them out first, and then we got these overlapping fullbacks eventually. Centre forward, that's okay. Wingers, well, how many wingers are there truly now? I think we might be heading a little bit back towards that, but a winger isn't what a winger once was. Inside forwards, that term died. That wasn't used, inside forwards. It's returned. So I think the language is constantly evolving, describing positions, but I actually think the bigger problem lies in describing concepts and sometimes these get confused and a lot of people so half space gets a lot of people's hackles up and it what does half space mean well guys it's it's a literal german translation so half space is the, what is what they call it it's basically the inside forward channel from back in the 30s or even longer but that terminology annoys people for some reason I think that's where problems occur, but it's—I don't think it's just a football problem. I think it's a life problem. People, when people communicate with each other, I think the expectations are too high. We expect people to say exactly what we need to hear, so we can understand it. It doesn't quite work like that. That's why conversation is quite important. Mm. Yeah, in an age where conversation is um, and listening to people is not what we're uh, not what we're currently about. But I also think as well, there's a lot of stuff about commentators getting things wrong and talking about he should have scored. And uh, there's a, there's the sort of kickback saying that maybe a commentator should be more aware of how many times that chance goes in. But that's that's not really his job. His job is or her job as well is to convey the emotion of the the, the move. They're not supposed to be. They're not supposed to be giving a, a mathematical assessment on the quality of that chance, and I think it's ridiculous. <laughs> there was there was one last there was one last night actually, and I I I pulled out of tweeting on it, and it because one of the anal- analysts said that uh, a free kick in that position was as good as a penalty to these players. Like, well, obviously it isn't, but let's let's leave it alone. But they, as you say. We don't use the term very much in in this country, but it's more of an American term. Colour commentary. That's what they're there for, is to provide colour, not necessarily to provide analysis. And that, I think, escapes us a little bit here, just because we don't use that term. Maybe if we used that term, we might accept that not everything they say is going to be 100% spot on, and nor does it need to be. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting language. Um, there's some other principles as well you go on to, more academic ones, which um, are really interesting for me, sort of learning more about the game and um, not going down that, that sort of deep knowledge coaching route. And I, I found some of them really interesting, the deception, sort of unsettling uh, surprise. And then from watching Brentford a lot, the reserve as well. I think the reserve principle is fascinating and how... Um, sort of Raya is really used well in the reserve principle as that deep um, sort of a line behind the deepest line almost and um, yeah it's just fascinating so the, these 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 are interest these were also interesting to me when I was looking at them um, because the, gen- the, the the accepted principles also exist within the academic texts so I've selected the ones from the academic texts that don't seem to exist in the traditional accepted principles. So deception, surprise are kind of covered 
in creativity and imagination. Kind of, but they're not quite the same, so it's worth looking at them. Um, ec- the economy and efficiency came from the um, academic principles. The reserve one, that struck with me as well. I mentioned the goalkeeper always really being available as your reserve backup option because in possession, unless the opposition really get their goalkeeper to come out, you should have an extra man and that extra man is the goalkeeper. But also, um, I can remember years ago, Michael Carrick talking about the positions that he took up and in order to receive the ball in space, he wouldn't be level with the ball or in front of the ball he would make sure he was behind the line of the ball because he would have more time and space there. I mentioned Chabi Alonso earlier. He dropped into those pockets to receive. And all of these playmakers, registers, they pop up in these positions to receive and dictate the play. Pirlo used to pick up uh, a reserve position quite a lot to help retain possession. Yeah, no, no it's really interesting. I think um, thinking about sort of highly possession-based teams as well and... Uh, maybe not even so much the highly possession-based teams, but thinking about rotating the ball from side to side across your defensive line, just having that stagger, that 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 reserve player is just really important. I think if you've got a goalkeeper as good as Rea, it's why Brentford have been as successful as they have in the last couple of years. It's definitely a big part of it. And yeah, it's just one of, another one of the fascinating principles in this book to to explore. And it's, it's just all these light bulb moments like, oh yes, ah, got you. Yep, that's it, that's it. And uh, yeah, it's really it's just really enjoyable. That that's one of the reasons it was included is because it was it's something that we know we we see it. We all see it there, but we don't often hear it expressed as a principle of the game. Again, it does does, does a team have to have a goalkeeper who can do that to be successful? No, they can do it without it if they're playing a different way. Does a team have to have a midfielder who drops in and receives in that manner to be successful? No, not necessarily, but it is, or it can be used as scaffolding to help support other principles, such as scoring. The next good point um, to move on to, I think, is uh, the FA coaching angle. And um, uh, I guess, where are we in comparison to our international peers? And then I, I, I call it like the highly qualified coaching dilemma. Like, where do you... Where do you feel we're at with that, Peter? I think we were doing very, very well. And then along came all the cuts. Um, My instincts are that the cuts are really hurtful, um, even without going into who's going to be able to get what level of education. What they have done is, is get rid of a lot of knowledge and talent. And I think that's very hard to replace and I think it's burnt a lot of bridges, which means that certainly in the short term, some people might change their minds in the long term, people will not want to work with the association. And these are people with knowledge, education, skills that can be passed on to other coaches. How that compares to our peers, I don't know. I don't know what cuts or what um, changes they've had to make. I couldn't imagine that they would be unaffected by the pandemic and wouldn't have had to make some changes, but I don't know to what degree that's happened. What I do know, or what I can see, is a lot of people with a lot to offer the coaching community no longer being there, and that can't be a good thing. There's um, there's obviously some really good coaches in the game, but it doesn't feel like there's enough, and uh, it doesn't feel like maybe the 
the money's in the right places sometimes that's how i probably look at it coldly um yeah as we begin to wrap up i think um something this is a little bit of, probably a bit selfishly that i'd like to talk about because i came across it a while ago and it was such a such an interesting piece and it makes sense now with your with your um vastly qualified writing background um it was a piece you did on sort of shapes and geometry uh it was really it struck a chord with me because i'm a big fan of david sumter he's an applied mathematician and he wrote about um animals and uh shapes organizing in nature and he basically just tied it all in with football and now he does and then he moved on to sort of doing research with hammerby and um, he's done some bits for barcelona and i think he's embedded at hammerby actually over in sweden but he's an applied mathematician at lecturer at Uppsala University. But he's written some great books like Football and Nature and Linking It and any of those sorts of pieces I'm I'm pretty mad for. Um, could you just give us a quick, as well, without, <laughs> without pushing you too quickly, but on a run-through of that, that piece, and um, we might link to it afterwards because it's fascinating to read, but it's talking about, like, nature structure. Hexagons I ended up with. I ended up talking about hexagons, basically. Um, so... Ecological dynamics is a, a, ge- a general theory within academia that has been applied to football coaching and other sports coaching. So that's where I came across it. And my exploration of that, it just made me think of structures because nature and science, we see repeated structures within nature. I think this is the sort of thing that David Sumter was, was talking about. Um, I do like a good documentary as well, so I've seen quite a few about that. And there's quite some really interesting maps that people make, past maps, and they create grids, and you can see the shapes within the grids and the recurrence of triangles, squares, geometry is is right there. And the strongest shape in nature is a hexagon or a variation or combination of hexagons because there's other shapes that are hexagons upon hexagons and so on that's quite complicated so i sat and i tried to work out how those shapes might apply um and how that might look within a team formation and by playing with it you can see certain structures that teams do use depending on where they position their players to create hexagons and diamonds so i think one of the ones that i did was was i called it a hexa diamond so we had a, a front four in a diamond shape and then the rest of the team had tucked in to create something of a hexagonal shape which gave you a defensive structure for when you lost the ball. And I could, in writing that, I could see some parallels. we come back to, to Guardiola. He has a shape of that sort when you look at where the fullbacks are. Um, a 4-2-3-1, if you narrow your fullbacks will give you a diamond at the top and some kind of hexagonal structure in the middle to prevent counter-attacks, to make that impenetrable shape. I suppose that's where I was going with it, was an impenetrable shape to prevent the opposition from attacking easily. So narrow, closer to your goal, but still structured in possession, and then wider, higher up. Geometry and shapes in football are just unavoidable. They're there, and um, yeah, as you say, these past maps are showing them in... uh cold light of day and uh, average positions and networks it's all fascinating stuff i think they're changing a little bit because for if i go back three or four years basically every team looked like a big kite shape all almost all the way out to the touch lines i think recently 
it's come in a little bit. They're not quite as out to the touchline as they were, although the overall shape probably is some sort of kite or hexagon. But then if you look, if teams are playing with a more withdrawn striker, the tip of that hexagon is dropped in a little bit. So it becomes flatter, but lower across the top. So we're now looking at five sides maybe rather than, than the six. Um, but nonetheless, you will still you still have to have, going back to principles, there will be some kind of height and width. It's just how high and how wide. Julian Nagelsmann has dragged his team inwards at, at Leipzig. They don't really have, in the when they're encamped in the opposition half, they don't really have a lot of width. They're more narrow and a part of that reason is to regain possession. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I know um, David Sumter from... Um one of his other conversations they were talking about an out of possession model for the players at Hammerby like being in the best structure for when they lost the ball behind sort of behind the ball and he was developing this cross sort of structure which is a really like it's a diamond really that's what he's saying he'd call it a cross but it's a diamond um and just being in the right position for when they did lose the ball high up the field how to recover it again quickly and it's it is just fascinating stuff but yeah I'll um, put it in the uh, notes just so anyone can um Go and have a look at your geometry piece because it's it's really good. Um, I enjoyed it. Mm. Well, if you think if you think about re- recovering possession high up, you're going to need enough distribution at the front end of your team to cover wherever the ball goes to, and then apply the pressure so that will be compact around the ball. Then there's going to be cover beyond that to mop it up. So maybe your two central midfielders, and then we've got the back four in place to protect whatever's behind that. So yeah. You can see like a maybe an hourglass shape forming, which could look a bit like a, a cross or. A, but then that's just one. There are many different. Yeah, ways many of ways of skinning a cat. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Peter, absolutely fascinating chat. Really good. So, author of Principles of Play. Uh, where can people buy this brilliant book? Principled ways of. So we well, you, you you can go obviously to Amazon if you like. Um, However, we have been directing people towards the publisher, and the publisher is, is Hawksmoor Publishing, um, uh, hawksmoorbookstore.com, and we are directing them there for a few reasons. Some people just don't like Amazon, and that's fine. We got a lot of requests. Is there somewhere other than Amazon we can buy the book? And that's fine. But also we're giving £1 from every purchase there to, to charity. So Football Beyond Borders, who do a lot of work um, in the inner cities with uh, some children who may not necessarily get the opportunities that others do. So Hawksmoor Publishing is the place we are directing people to. But of course, if you want to purchase from the all-encompassing Amazon, that's not off the table. Yeah, okay. As we start to wrap up then, Peter, um, thanks so much for chatting to us. Um, it's been brilliant. Whereabouts can people find you online? Um, what's your What's your Twitter bio, for instance? Um, at Twitter, oh, I, I, so for a while it was just at Peter Prickett, but then um, a, a child at school referenced to me as the bearded coach. So I decided to, I would use that as my handle on Twitter for a little while, just for a bit of fun, but it stayed. So uh if you want to find me on Twitter, the bearded coach, you'll, you'll find me. Um, LinkedIn, just at Peter Prickett, if you want to find me there. Uh, those will be the two main places that you'll find me. And I do have my own website, uh, developingskill.com, which has all the books listed and the blogs. And try, just trying to 
keep things organised in one nice tidy place. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. But it was an attempt attempt at uh, organising. So yeah, um, at developingskill.com is is also a place where I can be found. Yeah, brilliant. Um, we'll link to all of those bits um, accordingly. And uh, I guess just for the listeners as well, we might um, we might have a little competition involving one of these books. Um, we'll ask Peter nicely and uh, keep your eyes peeled. Um, there might be a way to get your hands on one of these. Um, but yeah keep um keep your eyes up but that leaves me to say again thank you very much to peter for joining us um uh follow beast tactical wherever you search for stuff um twitter etc there's the substack blog um there's also the patreon uh and yeah thanks again for peter and um we'll catch you next time <laughs>